1: Minimum of four lines for twenty five dollars per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty four monthly bill credits for well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty five dollar per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
0: Anthony, a lot is going on. I know there were there was a lot of movement in um, Pennsylvania's legislature, not just on Capitol Hill. Good morning, Anthony.
1: Good morning. How are you doing, Don?
0: I'm doing great. We have a lot of breaking news, so forgive me if we have something that's uh, happening as far as the the House of Representatives in DC, we may need to break away if in fact they they well if they ever get it together, that would be hell- <laughs> hallelujah. That'd be amazing, right? With all the hot mess in the house. But tell me, um what are you writing about? What's going on? I I saw that the Pennsylvania uh the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, they had a committee committee yesterday raising um, the raising the idea that would cha- that changes could pass and take effect in time for next year's presidential contest. And so there were two bills passed, um, ta- these measures talking about independent voters um, who would be able to, um, to vote in a pol- even if you're an independent, you would get to vote in a primary election. That's something new. So, for example, I think in Pen- in uh, Minnesota, states like that, if you are mm-hmm. an independent, you can just vote when you want. Here in here in Pennsylvania, we don't have that luxury. So, if you're an R or a D, you get to vote in the primary. As an independent, you would not you would only get to vote, let's say, on ballot questions. So, I know that that was one measure that that uh, was being written about.
1: Yeah, I mean this has been in the works for I mean for a fair while now. Um, I mean there's a number of states that have what they call open primaries, Mm -hmm. where uh, you know unaffiliated voters can vote in whichever primary they prefer, um, but only one. You can't do both, so you got to kind of choose there. Um, the The idea going on here is you know when you're looking, there's a significant number of Pennsylvania voters who are unaffiliated and they're independent, Mm -hmm. um, but in a lot of these races, uh, the primary is the election i mean you, know, you look in philadelphia which is you know roughly what 70 percent democrat or so yes whoever wins the democratic primary is almost at this point almost guaranteed to win the general mm-hmm. election um and you see the same thing on the reverse a lot of these uh rural pennsylvania areas dominated by republicans um so this is an idea of you know get more people involved with actually uh voting making having a voice in their local elections um, of course, when this gets raised, there's this concern of people switching parties as a way to not quite sabotage, but to uh, basically put in an opponent that would be weaker in the general election. Um, basically, you know, if a Democrat wants a Republican to win, that would be easier to beat by a Democrat. They could jump in. Uh, but when you're looking at a lot of the research here, that doesn't really seem to come up. Or if it does happen, it's more anecdotal. and doesn't have as much of an influence. Um so you know there is some concern in the state house from some legislators who are opposed to opening up these primaries uh but it's something that we see in a in a number of different states um and at the end of the day you know they they still function whether we'll adopt that here in Pennsylvania uh it's yet to be seen but it does seem like it has at least some momentum in the state house as of now
0: Yeah so as far as the budget where are we I you never hear Much about this. Uh, Josh Shapiro was here in Pennsylvania or here in Philadelphia, I should say, just this week as there are some really exciting groundbreakings that are taking place with redevelopments of, for example, the old uh, the old Sunoco refinery, the PES refinery and so on and so forth. And I see the coverage of that. We don't hear much except for what you are writing about. But there's not a lot of talk about the fact we're seemingly concerned that they don't fully have it together. As far as the budget, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I, 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 would also love to know what's going on with the budget. <laughs> um, we seem to be right now continuing this gridlock, um, where I'm sure behind the scenes, a lot of stuff is happening here as they're trying to hammer out some sort of deal, some sort of compromise. You know, we we need the budget. I mean, you can't you can't act otherwise. Um, this week, there's been a little bit of movement um, on some code bills, uh, which is basically you. To authorize a budget, you need to pass these code bills that direct some of the money to be moved and spent in different ways. Um, and even with the code bills, there's been there, there's been some controversy over how you're going to do it, what you're going to fund, um, and that sort of thing. Uh, as far as when we'll see you know a done deal here, it's kind of anyone's guess. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day, at some point things will break uh, and the funding will be cut off. So you have to actually get something out. Um, but I think right now you just you still see a lot of back and forth between Democrats and Republicans uh, in the State House as to what the final solution will actually be. Uh, when that's coming down the pipe, I think is anyone's guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable to me that nobody seems concerned. Nobody's talking about it. i I love that you're writing about methane emissions monitoring and that your your headline is that it's grabbing legislative attention, and this could be good for Pennsylvania. And, of course, we have a huge natural gas industry here. Tell me the latest. Update us.
1: Yeah, so uh, th- this was an interesting story in that this was a uh, Senate Environmental Resources and Energy Committee hearing um, on Tuesday, uh, basically talking with this group, um, Project Canary, which is a, uh, a climate tech uh, company, essentially, that monitors emissions emission. They create uh, products to monitor emissions um, at natural gas sites, along infrastructure, that sort of thing. Um, they've also been involved a little bit with um, plugging some uh, orphaned oil and gas wells that are scattered all across Pennsylvania, which has been interesting and something sorely needed. Um, but they also, essentially the idea here is with more measurement, more monitoring, you can catch these small leaks before they become bigger problems. Um both on you know, an environmental or public health uh, aspect because no one wants a right. uh, methane leak near where they live, uh, but also from an economic perspective of if you catch these small things, you can stop you know, a rupture or even more uh, money being lost. Uh, so there's kind of this push. There's this push on that level to you know, be able to better monitor these things and keep it in line and see what's happening with methane. Um, but it also seems like there's a, there's a competitive advantage here in Pennsylvania to do this. Um, because we we're seeing changes in federal regulations coming from a a number of sources. Um, the inflation reduction act has some methane rules coming in and a number of others, but essentially, uh, it helps in terms of uh, procurement rules where, uh, More uh, government entities will be required to uh, demonstrate that the natural gas that they buy is responsibly sourced. uh, And responsibly sourced is basically defined as uh, natural gas where you have less less methane emissions coming out of it. When we're looking, you know, basically the industry standard here is the methane intensity level needs to be below 0.2%. Uh, In Pennsylvania, that average is 0.08 percent. So this is also, as we're monitoring methane emissions more, this can also be used by uh, the natural gas industry to demonstrate that Pennsylvania meets the definitions of their gas being responsibly sourced and could possibly give them a bit of a competitive advantage here.
0: And I think about this, you know, I wish I had invested in this they're Project Canary. So I'm looking up their website, and you've written about them, if anybody, in the center square. But what a great idea to create a company that has sensing devices, and of course, they're solar-powered, and then they do environmental risk assessments for air, water, land community or improve your operations. What a brilliant idea in this day and age when we're we're more conscious of this. And so how would that work? Are are they saying that, in other words, in Pennsylvania, if we had, it's almost like when you go buy your eggs nowadays and it says cage free or organic. So would we have like a little yellow canary on our natural gas? And so then people would say, oh, well, I'm going to buy theirs because it meets the standards of the government. Is that essentially what they're looking at?
1: Yeah, sort of. I, I don't think it would be, you know, on the level of at the consumers, um, but uh, in uh, higher up in the uh, supply chain here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think that's a good parallel to uh, understand it here.
0: Yeah, I was just trying to, you know, I'm just trying to relate it in a way that we can understand it. Obviously, they're, they're dealing with, you know, at a in industry level, but I was just trying to think of that. And, you know, the concern is jobs. And since we have this, I think these kinds of companies, we'll see more and more of them, but it looks like they have a, a huge success there at Project Canary, and they do a lot of great work, not just for air and those emissions, for gas emissions, but for water because that's a, a huge issue, and I know you've written about that as well with some of the leakage into our water system. We had that in the Philadelphia region. What was that, about a year, two years ago maybe? Remember that? When all of our waterways mm-hmm. and they had the uh, spill or PFEs and that sort of thing. Um, so tell me what else. Uh, my gosh, Anthony, you've been busy. You've been writing about so much. And so I'm looking at this one that brings up in Philadelphia, Larry Krasner. And I had mentioned it the other day, but suburban communities um, blasting him, suburban leaders blasting Krasner in Philadelphia and sort of blaming Krasner's policies on what they're seeing in the suburbs and forcing taxpayers there to spend more money in policing, et cetera. Can you take us through what, what you're finding here?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this is an issue that's been building in recent years, um, you know, especially during uh, 2020 with the pandemic and we saw that crime spike and the good news here is that things are declining. Um, You know, we're, we're definitely, you know, the, the edges have been uh, worn off, thankfully. Uh, But, you know, there's still a lot of issues surrounding crime, criminal justice, uh, out in the suburbs, um, you know, there's also there's this very strong feeling if you're near Philadelphia, um, that due to policies in Philadelphia, you know, your township, your county is dealing with more crime. Um, so this was a, a House GOP policy committee hearing last week, um, where they basically, uh, talked with, uh, you know, suburban sheriffs, um, public safety leaders, basically trying to get a handle of what's happening, um, with crime. Um, Jennifer Shorn, who is the first assistant district attorney of Bucks County, um, argued that there is no question that the crime spree in Philadelphia spills over into border towns and border counties. Uh, so, you know, there, there's, there's a feel that, you know, th- this rise in catalytic converter theft, um, general robberies, mail thefts, carjackings, um, crime related to, uh, xylacine, which is an illegal street drug also known as trank. Um, a lot of this is coming because there's not necessarily as much punishment in Philadelphia as there used to be. Um, William McVeigh, who's the director of public safety for Ben Salem Township, mm-hmm. has been very vocal um, criticizing Philadelphia's driver equity law that uh, basically restricts police from stopping yes. motorists um, based on you know, some minor uh, violations. Uh, but he was arguing that there is no longer any sense of consequence from criminals. Um, and he also pointed to some statistics he has for Ben Salem, where uh, he says 40 percent of the township's arrests are of Philadelphia residents, um, which, you know, doesn't doesn't necessarily sound that bad until you realize a few years ago that was only 10 percent. Um, so there's yeah. there's this concern of even when you do arrest someone, they are quickly back on the street. There's no actual punishment for the uh, harm they're inflicting on the broader community.
0: It's amazing to me how the suburban, it seems to me like all the suburban departments or most of them work together. And so it's a shame that it seems to me that Krasner is not necessarily friends with even Democrats in the suburbs. Am I wrong?
1: here? Yeah, that that was the sense of hearing from some of these local district attorneys um, that, you know, they have a great relationship with Philadelphia police. Uh, with Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania State Police, uh, but as far as trying to work together with uh, Philadelphia's uh, District Attorney's Office, not so much. Um, basically, there there is that general feeling mm-hmm. that uh, you cannot necessarily get the cooperation you used to get five, ten, fifteen years ago.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what I hear as well, and it's strange to me because generally speaking, even if they're of a different political party. But, you know, they, they will still work together because they're working toward a higher power of, you know, keeping the law, protecting citizens, etc. But at the DA level, you think of Chester County now has a, 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 as a Democrat, right? They've for the first time in Chester and then Montgomery County, Kevin Steele, who, we, who I know very well. Kevin, he's a Democrat. So I don't really understand sometimes why they don't why they're not on the same page. But obviously, in, in part, it's because they look to Krasner as somebody who is uh, not like-minded with them. And I think, they're, I think there's an aggravation there, even though some of them are in the same party. So that, to me, is yeah. fascinating, right? Because it, it, it seems like it's not political there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's sort of two things here. I think one comes down to simply this, the effect of local leaders and what they have on policy um, is very great uh, because, you know, it's it's not just the entire office. It's the, the head guy sets the rules here, sets the policies, sets the priorities of what you're going to target, what you're going to do. Um, and on the local level, as we have seen, uh, that can create very dramatic shifts. Uh, and I, I think the other part of this is, you know, Philadelphia's district attorney's office has had some high profile um, departures, um, you know, just the difficulties of keeping the same people in office or just the the high rate of turnover um, has not nece- has not exactly been the secret. Um, and I think as you're losing, a lot of those people have been there for 10, 15, 20 years, and you're getting people who only have a few years experience. Uh, You know, that 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 drop in experience really starts to show um, the longer it goes on.
0: Yeah, I hear you. And you wrote about the Bitcoin mining study is now being revived in the state house in Pennsylvania. Can you can you headline that one for us as well?
1: Yeah. So this is this has been something that's kind of been growing in Pennsylvania in the last few years. Um, Basically, uh, we've seen an increase in cryptocurrency mining um, like Bitcoin and all these other things going on. Uh, essentially, this kind of grows out of a tax credit passed a few years ago where the goal was to attract, um, <laughs> the goal was essentially to attract, uh, data centers uh, you know, bringing in these large, um, you know, uh, computer servers to store data, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that also works well for cryptocurrency miners, apparently. Um, so we've seen a number of operations pop up in recent years, uh, and a lot of them are using, uh, coal waste. power what they're doing others might you can also use uh nuclear generated power you can use wind power uh, but that's kind of been the focus uh and so this bill was actually uh it it essentially it was introduced a couple months ago um to essentially have an impact study on what these cryptocurrency mines are doing um requires some reporting mandates for these companies identifying where they are what they're doing um, some basic information like that the original bill uh, that was looking to be run also included a two-year moratorium on any new operations starting up. Uh, but in a June hearing uh, in the House Environmental Resources and Energy Committee, uh, it was a very short meeting. It went maybe four minutes. Uh, Chair Greg Vitale uh, started speaking, and he announced to everyone that he, he had just gotten a call before the meeting started from Democratic leadership ordering him to kill the bill. Uh, so now it was brought up again this week, uh, but without the two-year moratorium uh, in it. So this would essentially just be an impact study and some reporting requirements. Uh, but it's still uh, it's still a bit of a controversial bill. Um, it passed just barely with 13 votes within the committee. Uh, Republicans kind of came out against it and arguing that these reporting requirements are burdensome and not necessary. Um, but we'll uh, we'll see where this goes in the fuller house. But it's definitely it's an interesting sort of thing where with cryptocurrency you kind of think of programming of tech of all mm-hmm. you know these uh vague financial considerations. Uh, but in Pennsylvania, it's really become kind of uh, kind of an old style thing to power these uh, these data centers to keep mining.
0: When I first, I'll make a confession. When I first heard about Bitcoin mining. I pictured, you know, like the like a mine, like physically going down digging in the gold mine or what have you, and 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 I th- and I wonder if everybody out there maybe who's who is a little more antiquated when I first heard of this, I really thought because they call it a Bitcoin farm, and I was like, what is this stuff? And this was years ago, but it's actually I tell people picture um, a huge huge warehouse let's say and it looks like something out of the matrix right with all these walls of essentially right computers and wires mm-hmm. and they these large scale facilities and then you're mining the bitcoins but it's you're having to you have these geniuses i guess they have to solve uh, very complex mathematical algorithms verify transactions and then so so called create the new bitcoins so it's not like you're mining for Gold, it's literally, it's like something out of Neo and the Matrix, I guess you would say. But I think there's the environmental consideration, right? And that's to your point, that these things suck a ton of power. How are they powered? The electricity mm-hmm. that, that's used, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's this massive amount of energy being used to uh, run, run these things. And also, uh, you know, you, you're seeing local concerns about the noise coming from these places, the emissions coming from them. Um, so, you know, you, we, we see a number of stories where you have local communities complaining that it's just it's like a it's a long droning sound that you hear from this. And it's not like an up and down thing. It's just like a consistent noise. Almost really? as if It doesn't stop. Yes.
0: See, I've never heard that before. I'm, I am fascinated by it. I think as far as the federal government, they want to figure out how to make sure that they get their VIG as my friend Rich Cioli always says they were well, you know and that's and but the the joke is that's the allure of bitcoin right that it's for people who don't want to maybe who want to live on the edge and we we've, we've seen the recent allegation that for example terrorists recently we saw that Hamas may have you know had money and contributions trading hands through things like cryptocurrency so there's with everything, there's a good side, but there's also a negative side. So I know they have to figure out how to regulate it. Well, Anthony Hannon, thank you so much. I mean, you're fascinating. And I swear you get a master's degree or a double master's in all of these, you know, meetings. How much time do you spend when you go to some of these meetings? Is it eight hours in a meeting, five hours when you are hearing the testimony?
1: Uh, I believe it's uh, too long, generally. <laughs> uh, you know, if, 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 if I'm lucky, it can be, you know, if they're, if they're quick, if they have uh, lunch to get to, it might be two or three hours. But uh, some of can run a very long time.
0: Yeah. Well, I, you obviously love your job, and you love learning about these things, and you do a terrific job writing about them in a very fair manner. So, uh, Anthony Hannon, we think the world of you. Thank you so much. Thecentersquare.com. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony.